Right, so we're back with our So Far So Good Season 2. And uh, I think if uh, you have watched our So Far So Good Season, you might have seen uh, Jake before. So welcome Jake again to our PLB studio. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Right, yes. and, and that time we were doing um, the episode talking about um, some of the roles of uh, chartered surveying in Singapore plus um, some of the things to look out for when renovating your place and, and things like that. More on interior. Yep. Right, and uh, this time around, um, previously we were doing during the circuit breaker season and that was over Zoom. So this time around, I'm very glad that uh, you have um, spent your time here to, to travel to our office. Yeah, yeah my pleasure. My pleasure. How's, how's, how's things after the, the circuit breaker and everything? I think after the whole CB period, uh, things are picking up. Mm. In fact, now it's very, very intense. Right. Uh, you know, before coming, it was just back-to-back meetings like, yeah. like, like yourself. La. So yeah. it's good. It's a happy problem. Yeah. yeah. But now it's really to prioritize and make sure um, the assurance and the timeline we need, we can hand over on time. Yeah, things are positive. Mm. I think that's a good thing. Yeah, I, I've heard that uh, after the circuit breaker in, mm. in, in June 2020, the renovation industry is like exploding. Yes. And, yes. and is it because um, Singaporeans now, during that, that last period, I mean, before now, people can, can travel to cruise, but mm. that time, there's nowhere to go. So, mm. Towards the end of the year, everybody's thinking about renovating their home, mm. improving their, their lifestyle. Is, is that true? I think that contributes quite a fair bit. Um, the whole work from home notion, I think, kicks in very strongly. La. So uh, there were smaller projects to do mini conversions, home improvements, study room conversion. Then And also because of the whole uh, pent-up frustration that, oh, I cannot do reno, cost is building high. So I think when the time when it's released, Oh, they take it at a whole skill and do it big skill. So right. in fact, the after the period, the amount of inquiries, genuine inquiries that come in and the skill of the project just exponentiate. Mm. Very scary. Mm. <laughs> so so the demand came from um, owners living in their existing home doing mm. minor upgrades plus mm. new home owners and especially when um, we've seen like so much activities and demand in the property market. Yeah. So a lot of transactions are happening. Yes. Right. So I think it's, it's very good for <laughs> For your business now, yes. and and today we we don't want to talk about renovation. <laughs> today we want to talk about um, a very hot topic right mm. now because uh, over the past um, year, especially in the third and fourth quarter, all the way up up to now, first quarter, we have seen so much demand for landed homes, yep. and uh, we have a lot of sellers and and buyers in the landed market. And um, Jake has always been a, a very strong partner with us because um, he's not only one of the very few chartered surveyors in Singapore, he also has a lot of strong partners in the landed property market, whether it comes to renovating landed homes, doing A&A or rebuilding. Mm. Uh, they have helped our clients uh, to a very great extent. So we want to tap on his brain today to understand the process of rebuilding a landed property. So today, the entire... 30 to 45 minutes is talking about what is going to happen uh, the moment if you intend to rebuild a home. Let's say, for example, you spotted a, a landed home in the resale market, an old landed property. It can be a single story, one and a half or two story, and you want to tear down and rebuild. What's going to be the whole process from start to finish? So we're going to tap on Jake's brain <laughs> on that. Thank you. Thank you. More than happy to share. Okay. So yeah, I think first and foremost, there is no one definite path because no unit is the same, right? Whether is it single, double story, terrace, and so on and so forth. Uh, but I think by and large, the first step that you should do is have a S-built drawing. Yeah. So which means the S-built drawing definition, it's the one that is directly purchased from authority, from BCA. 
So there were many, many uh, examples, scenarios that uh, somebody passed me the plan. I found this in the deep corner. It's hidden under the my 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 seller's uh, cabinet. So and and many sellers or even buyers would say that they are assured of an authentic floor plan. So that's when the challenge is because uh, without a current and as-built drawing, that means the real authentic one, there were very limited ways on how you can ascertain how much you can go. So unless the context here is that I want to tear down and rebuild. But if the context here is that, hey, I want to be fairly sure that whatever I'm looking at now is the baseline. Then to, with today's compliant requirement, because all these years, the compliance changes from plot ratio, from my building envelope control, my setback, my sewer, and so on and so forth. There's so many things. So the first thing is to get a proper as-built drawing uh, through the seller or maybe through your agent's help, authorize them and purchase the floor plan. That's the, that's the first, first, first step. Yeah? After you have the floor plan, at least you're assured that what you see on ground and what you see on paper, usually there will be a difference. Uh, because landed property is a very scarce uh, uh, item in, in Singapore. So most uh, landowners will try to maximize what they have. Mm. Yeah. So um, when you see the floor plan, when you have the S-built, the next person you should speak to is the QP. In our terminology, QP is the either the two parties that's regarded as the architect or the engineer. So these are the two folks. That's also the reason why our, our parents are always ask us to study hard to become an architect or <laughs> engineer. Because in the built industry under Singapore, the only two parties they will recognize under the law is either engineer or an architect. And of course, they must be properly certified under the PE board, under the board of architects. Yeah. So the architects, uh, you typically, they will then evaluate the floor plan based on today's prevailing rules and they superimpose. Then you can advise, hey Jake, Melvin, this is the plot of land. What is your end objective? Do you want to maximize the room? You want to introduce a lift? You want to be universal design friendly? You want to have a ramp? Uh, you want to have a swimming pool? And all your parameters. So then they will fit all this in. Yeah. So what the market is doing there now is that there are some black sheep out there. They just take the floor plan mm. and based on what they think they know, mm. they superimpose. That's when the challenge is because there may be some overarching requirements. For example, there could be some flight path control. There could be some sewer protection line. Mm. Examples like that, that you cannot do what you want to. So I think the, the best approach is that uh, have a very clear, uh, original, authentic floor plan. Speak to a QP, authorized QP. Be very clear your requirements are. Yeah, Then have the QP on board. There's always this saying uh, that uh, if you if you pay peanut you get monkeys mm. yeah so I think uh, it's more true for the world of uh, uh, renovation construction and uh, the world of architects and engineers mm. so because these these folks are professional to mm. get their certainly minimum ten years in the market mm. in, the, in the trade so you got to uh, fairly commensurate them pay them then they will work to your requirements develop a base plan then with the base plan then it's appropriate for the builder to come in to do the costing. Mm. So so the interesting thing is that it's like almost like a multi-pronged approach. Uh, architect will be very good in compliance, setback, plot ratio, building envelope control. An engineer will be very, very good in building the structural safety, the loading, the rebars, and so on and so forth. Then the builder will be based on these two inputs to come up with a cost. Yeah. So you realize that all three parties play a role. And, and more often than not, uh, end users or buyers usually say actually I only have this budget then you speak to an interior designer 
then you expect the interior designer to design things. So, so it might be a bit wrong. Mm. So the first approach should be really uh, speak to a, a architect, speak to a building surveyor to see if there's any inherent issues, purchase the plan, then start developing it. Mm. Yeah. So that is what you have your on your hands already. The next thing is that assuming all these stars are aligned, you have your floor plan ready, your builder is on board, your architect is on board, then next stage is to be prepared. Uh, things don't happen overnight. Meaning, authorities like uh, URA, BCA, um, they are a regulatory body. So, need you ensure that compliance is met. Safety, setback, your nuisance, and so on and so forth. So, be, be, be expecting the submission usually is in the range for three to six months. Mm. But if you're talking really a A and A approach, mm. I think three three months ish should be should be mm. fair. Mm. Uh, once the submission is done, um, the other thing that you should take note is that uh, there is this uh, safe work measure now, mm. the COVID uh, impact. Mm. So uh, URA BCA especially is super super strict now that uh, we have to ensure that your safe measure distance, safe work measure distance. Uh, you declare your manpower, and you basically have a very good record on all this. So all this compliance actually eat up a bit of time, and also um, the COVID uh, response plan requires you that typically for landed folks, builders, con- contractors like to work seven days a a, a week uh, mm. to rush the job. Uh, but because of COVID response, they actually say, by law, every week you're sub- you're mandated to rest one day, right? And it's stipulated, right? Yeah. Right. So so you know when it comes to uh, putting all your resources, uh, obviously if things are truncated, you can't go as efficient. Yeah. So so Jake, before yes. before we move on, um, regarding the the rebuild process, mm. um, let's let's come back to maybe the 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 phase that usually a buyer before they even put on the check right a practical approach on the ground mm. um so I, I get what you mean when you say that um getting the the very correct bca plans mm. and then uh, aligning your team architects mm. uh qp the um the the builders and, yep. and all that Okay, so on a practical level, let's say for example, because because when especially when market is very hot, right? Yeah, sometimes buyers they want to take advantage of the opportunity. They don't want to uh, do a over kind of um, extend in getting too many experts down because right. they they are afraid that by the time they make arrangement for a soil test, they mm. make arrangement for. Uh, a chartered surveyor like yourself, mm. they made arrangement for the architect to come down. The, the property is sold already. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And what will be a very practical amount of uh, due diligence check mm. that a buyer on the ground should do to ensure that there are no horror stories after that? Because <laughs> I, I have one client that, that shared me before. One of his friends, um, after buying the landed property for the purpose of doing a rebuild, and the friend thought that actually an extension on the front part could be done. Mm. But later on, after buying, exercising the option, taking the keys, then his architect and builder tell him that, hey, below your house is a sewer line. Yep. And yep. you cannot actually <laughs> extend outwards. And, and that was a horror story because it affects the amount of build up yep. that he can go. So so when my client co- told me that, it was like, wow, okay. So so there are a lot of things that, that a buyer on the ground needs to take. Mm. So, so in your opinion what will be the recommendation right right so given this time and day more so when um, the landed property is 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 scarce still and is 
in fact getting very more and more valuable. So I I personally felt that uh, for all landed properties, uh, do invest in a session uh, with a charter building surveyor. Not not really blowing my horns on this, but uh, a case where because all the hard earned money on a real estate that is going to appreciate even more over time, it is good to have a building surveyor to come in to do the first round visual inspection before visual, okay. visual before, walk through yes before all the you know all the fancy machines all come in um, because the very fact that the building surveyor is is being accredited uh, is being chartered is a case where he needs to basically walk through the whole renovation process from flat ground to a built out so so and there must be a very thorough understanding of the life cycle process of materials, of degeneration, deterioration of product. So if there is a chance for a building surveyor to come in, to walk through, uh, we always joke that there's a, a bit of an infrared uh, 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 option down there, function down there, where mm. you can possibly see certain things that uh, folks missed out. Right. And these things that are uh, not obvious to our naked eye. Yes, right? yes. And then things they will be particularly um, sensitive for builders and for charter surveyors. Best is that both of them are combined. Mm. What, what are some of the things that you have? Yeah. Or interesting or horror, horror things that you have seen before? Right. I think um, a lot of folks will be thinking, wow, if I have very nice marble, it will be fantastic. Yeah. I will have a very nice natural stone, quartz, lah, you know, marble, uh, and, and the lights, they are always good. But sometimes, if we if we be if we are very careful on how we look at things, marble is good, yeah, but stained marble cannot restore to its original look, yeah. So that is always the challenge. You know, folks will be saying, "I like this marble," and there are some stains down there. I'm pretty sure that over time this will be solved. Mm. But the problem is that when marbles are being stained in a very stubborn manner or prolonged manner, the stains are literally stuck within the stones, mm. and, and and we we can't have that. Mm. And how, how about how about if if the the buyer is already um, having that set mindset that definitely I want to tear down. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So this is uh, again another uh, one of our encounters with a client. <clears throat> Same thing. Uh, fantastic. You know, gotten the eye uh, from from advice from a lot of uh, folks in the market. Say this is a fantastic land corner terrace. Uh, we wanted to do. In fact, I think it's not good. It's a semi D, beautiful uh, area by the side. Uh, intending to extend and do up a rear and side extension for the building, increase the GFA. And uh, beautiful. And near there, there is actually uh, what we call natural vegetation, a slight hill and all those. But we just think that, wow, this can be beautified as a landscape uh, setup. Uh, we, we were not involved in the case in day one, but subsequently, when the land was purchased, a good portion behind was set as the sewer protection, the PUB sewer line protection. So the plan was that PUB has a certain setback, that this is going to be the future area to support the enlarged rainwater channel. <laughs> mm. Yeah, so technically, um, like very similar to yours, um, you, you can't, they can't even do that. And mm. it became the resultant effect is that the land club is a big piece of land, but the building envelope become very slim and sexy. Mm. Mm. So it doesn't it doesn't proportion it's not a very narrow house. very narrow house, yeah. And it doesn't make sense to, exactly to rebuild exactly exactly. So I think the the key is that okay, firstly on visual, what are the potential effects onto making something good and livable, and then then the next thing is the architect's involvement on a very high level. So so avoid the 
the cookie cutter approach where you know you have a very nice footprint you just think that this thing can work it, it doesn't work that way mm. so I really want to caution uh, and, and just advise uh, to think about it have a building surveyor as well as a architect mm. best is that these folks are come together come together do a walk through exactly give a certain level of assurance yes and then before you put on the check yes okay great um Let's move on to after you put on the check. <laughs> okay, so after you put on the check, you exercise the option, you get mm. the keys of the competition. Mm. Usually, the planning phase, mm. the sit-down phase with the architect, with mm. uh, the builder, mm. um, who manages the project? Right. So, depending on the, the setup, right, there will be some uh, folks will be saying that uh, I will independently appoint my archi, my QPs. Then the QPs will hold a beauty contest through a tender. Interested parties come and bid, right? Uh, in that manner, folks will be thinking, well, I'm assured of the cheapest price and my QPs, my, my quantity surveyors, my engineers, my architects will supervise the main contractor. So that's one path, you know, the beauty contest. The other path is what we call the design and build. So client will meet with one team and this team basically discuss the building portion the development portion as well as the submission portion yeah so we notice that the trend nowadays uh, the design build is getting more and more upscale mm. more mm. and more uh, receptive mm. because um, I think homeowners and buyers they also realize that you know uh, time is of the essence they really don't have a lot of time to you know conduct three interviews spend time so obviously the first method will assure you of maybe a better competitive price uh, but it will definitely take longer because you need to take four quotes, three quotes for evaluation. Yeah. So again, I think the process here is that definitely a qualified person, the architect is on board with you and best, the person fronting, interfacing with the client is a builder himself. Mm. That is the best. Of course, we are asking a lot in this situation uh, because the builder, uh, as I explained earlier, the builder has a sensitivity of pricing. Mm. Architects are aesthetics uh, uh, engines, so they will turn out things to be functional, form and function, they always want to fulfill that. Uh, engineers have to fulfill the safety. So safety-wise, you cannot compromise. So, so, but if you want to fulfill something that is very strong, something that is functional, something that is even prettier, like a showroom, so you, if you check all the lists, sometimes the cost can go overscale. Yeah. So the best way is that in terms of buildability, the builder come in to understand what you want, normalize it, understand it, disseminate to the architects, to the engineers. Then they streamline a product that can fulfill all the checklists, yet at a slightly affordable price. So what you're saying is, um, is, is this the design and build process? Yes, it And is. the design and build process, the main person that is in charge of the project would be the builder. Yes. And the builder works with the architect disseminate that's, the information that's okay. right so that's so the builder is the main person that that's right you as the owner talks to correct i see correct. And, and you felt that in today's day and age this is the most cost efficient mm. and project efficient totally mm. totally because um folks and buyers are getting more and more sophisticated yeah uh, you know when you talk about pricing one google you can have all the pricing out so sometimes it's not just on price per se 
it's on the integration with the subsequent requirements, the safety, the compliance, and the buildability. So more and more, I think the builder role is taking in precedence, is getting more and more important. Mm. And interestingly, we get a feedback from our architect uh, counterparts, our partners. They are... Their preference is for the builders to interface more and more with the clients. Mm. Yeah, because um, I think the common question is that if I design this way, what is the cost impact? Mm. And then the information has to float back to the to the builder. Hey, right. builder, if I change this, how much does it cost? So um, more and more, I think builders are coming up to be the lead for the, for the, the project job. manager. Correct, the right. lead for the job. And I think that's a definitely a more efficient manner. Mm. And, and this process, the first process after, let's say I get the keys, mm usually the planning phase for example if let's mm. say I, i'm the buyer mm. uh now i own the the old land that i want to rebuild and i'm a decisive person for example right. okay good. how long typically would would that take that phase I, I think you need a factor about six to eight weeks for that right yeah just for the dinging dong dong yeah because i think um firstly i think the first couple of weeks is really to understand the baseline mm. uh, requirements how many bedrooms exactly and, and also all the stakeholders involvement mm. so from the child to the parents to the grandparents for even the dog sometimes the dog the lifestyle the lifestyle so this takes a lot of refinement so mm. usually at that stage right uh, something of, of this thing will be a mood board that comes mm. in a design design brief will come in and that's when the builder then will have to check in all these things together with that we develop something of your mood board mm. that means basically a 10-15 slide the it, 3D and the 3D the visual expression of aga aga if this is what you want mm. then we move on okay yep. that's about two months Correct. and after for example let's say if if um, I decide to confirm it mm. and then I say okay let's go ahead put a deposit down and everything is done mm. uh, what is the next phase would that be submission and yes. all yes so that will be then the architect's uh, playground already then okay. they will base on the brief confirm the the uh, designs, confirm the submissions, how much area, and they will basically do the submission drawings to URA. Mm. Yeah. So the minute they submit a URA, they will be, for, for, for simplicity, they will have a account number or mm. a project number. Mm. So when this project number is being created, and so that's, that's the number that every time we drive past prop you will landed see. that's being built, okay. there's a bot there. Yes, yes. Right. That, that is a very key number because mm. Uh, any good things that happen uh, is tagged to this number. Any non-compliance also tagged to that number. So that number is very critical. Okay. And more critically is because this this number sets like the project number reference for subsequent QP application. So the first team that comes on board is always the archive first. Then they, they settle all this, they do all the things. So once the thing is, uh, I would say, good form, maybe 60, 80% is done, that's when your engineers will come on board. So I things can run concurrently. So long the project case is created, things can run concurrently. And uh, the whole submission for this uh, ding-dong is about three months, three and a half months mm. for, for the full team to get so the whole discussion phase about two to three months, submission, submission phase three months. And, and let's say the approval is given for the project to go ahead. Yep. What um, and, and during this submission, what are the authorities involved? BCA, URA? Uh, the more critical one is URA, BCA. Mm. The biggest one to take care of is BCA. Okay. The next one to take care is PUB. Okay. Yeah. Uh, with these two more or less settled, uh, I think a lot of other things are simpler. Okay. Are simpler. These two are always the tricky part because BCA concerns the safety portion, mm. whether the loading works, la, whether your trench is safe enough, la, mm. and, was, and all those stuff. Mm. The other thing that is um, why PUB is concerned because your affluent water, mm. what you passes out, what the water you drink. Mm. Yeah. And immediately, these, these services 
will affect your left and right neighbor, and sometimes mm. even your back and front neighbor. Mm. So PUB is also very very strict to protect the integrity of the power in and outs. Mm. So this is the one. Uh, usually there will be surprises. <laughs> okay, and, and usually that. There will be delays if that happens yes. like by one month or two months. Yes, yes. Okay. For for example, let's say if everything is smooth. Right. Three months you got it. What's next? After three months we got it, then it's back to the builders now. So when this issuance of cert to proceed, so for simplicity, we just say PTW, permit to work. So BCA will issue a, a notice to say, well, builders, you can work now. Then the builders will then comply. The next step is on all your necessary protection, your hoardings must be out, your poster must be out, your monitoring device must be out, and your whole gang or COVID <laughs> exercise has been out. So the mobilization for this is about two weeks, two, two to three weeks. Yeah. So the minute the mobilization is done, the next step is actual start of work. Mm. That's So all in all, if you plus this, is two and a half months, maybe plus another three months. So I think conservatively and fairly reasonably should set aside about uh, five months, five mm, and a half months. Five period. to six months for before you start work. Exactly. Okay. And then the moment you start work, mm. usually, let's take for example, um, uh, a semi-D. Right. Semi-D, let's say the land is 3,005, going to do a build-up close to about six five to 7,000. Okay. And uh, of course now, the very popular one is there's the, the envelope, mm. uh, the new envelope uh uh, thing that uh, a lot of builders can take advantage of for yep. the high ceiling and things. Yep. Uh, what will be the time frame then? Yeah, right. from from the time from after these six months. Right. So after these six months, then uh, work has to done progressively and safely. Yeah. So um, all this progression of work, scheduling of work, has to be done in tandem to what the engineers specify. So, so literally, you you cannot, as a builder or as an owner, decide, say, I like to take my porch first. I like to take my ceiling first. I like to take my roof first. It doesn't go that way. Mm. In fact, the engineers will stipulate based on the method statement. What are the things you need to do? In fact, how high your protection, your holding has to be? What kind of monitoring device? Is it in the front porch, rear yard? They will specify. So, these are, not in a way, the hidden cost. Mm. Yeah, because how much, how, how, how high to be, these are the things that they will specify. Um, to the context about land, 3,005, built out about 7,000, be expecting the time period from 10 months to a year. Yeah. Again, we also need to be uh, fair on d deciding whether is there a pool, is there a lift and things like that. But averagely, uh, it's a project that will be approximately a year. A year. Mm. Right. Yeah. How about um, if... I want to add on a basement. Mm. Uh, how would that affect the timeline? How much more time is needed? Right. So basement is something that is uh, uh, a very interesting thing because mm. basement, according to the building envelope control, okay, so building envelope control is something that you already stipulated to say that you can develop your unit, your, your landed, but the overall new building height has to be within the height control. Mm. So you can have a one-story 12-meter uh, building or you can have three, four meters story to be limited under the 12. So it really depends how the architect and the user and the builders as well as the user owner thinking. Mm. So this is complying to your to your uh, building envelope as well as pro ratio. So the thing about basement is that this is exempted. Mm. So this area is exempted. So, so, so from ground to below is not counted into that 12 meters. It's not counted. So mm. In a way, uh, very smart and very quick. People say, hey, I can maximize what I go below. But so 
on paper it makes total sense. Yeah, but if on you budget on budget wise, you wear the builder wise, you wear the civil engineer hat, uh, it's a big challenge mm. because the word the rule of norm, anything that goes substructure, that means go below, right? Every floor you go, it is two times the cost you go on top. Mm. Yes. So example, if I go to build one more mezzanine, it's two hundred thousand example. So if you want to go one floor below. Four to five hundred thousand. Yes, yes. That is, and the time is is it, the 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 time is also equally one point five times more. Mm. Yeah, and the other thing that is surprise is the part on earth protection mm. because obviously we want to go lower and in Singapore because of land scarce, all our services, our power, our electricity, our fluid water, uh, affluent water, all goes underneath. So you have to assure, not just to the engineer, but you have to assure to PUB and other authorities that while we are doing your basement, you will not interrupt with the services. Mm. And mm. all these compliance costs are really a surprise. Mm. Yeah. Because, because, for example, if while, while your builder, builder and their team are digging mm. and if it affects some of the things that affects the neighbours, how are the costs being calculated? I mean like, this is this is a very scary uh, scenario because you can be sued and exactly so so um for a architect and a build uh, and a civil engineer what they are supposed to do is that they are supposed to retrieve all the as built drawings, mm. including the sewer lines how they run and basically have a cross sectional view how they are doing that. That's also the reason why there must be a lot of tests. You're pegging, you're surveying, uh, your topo survey and and so a whole gang of services that come in. So the idea is that as much as possible, I identify the services keepers below that. Mm. and if we hit the jackpot to say that we identify before we start work is the role of the builder and of course the whole project team uh, to then manage to divert them before you start okay so <laughs> so this is a very interesting topic let's say for example mm-hmm. one day um, your builder calls you and say uh, there's an issue mm. right? because while, while digging mm. uh, while building that basement right. the sewage for the entire row is affected and uh, whose responsibility is it? Let's say some of the neighbors decide to sue. Mm. Will they sue the the new owner or they sue the builder? Or right. Like, so is, is there any insurance for the yes. owner to buy? And yes. Yes. So for all projects, right, there is a there's a insurance necessary insurance coverage. So um, generally, in in that kind of context, when uh, there are uh, I think after effects, when you're doing certain scope, right, the project will be sued. Meaning, um, basically, it's under the main core responsibility that you be sued. And if things get a bit more complicated, then the lawyers have to then determine the percentage of fault, whether is it A fault, B fault, C fault, or D fault. That is also the reason why when it comes to uh, substructure, basement construction, the preliminary works, the fact-finding, the groundwork, very intense. very intense. There cannot be a case where I think you think no. It mm. is a case of certainty. If you're not even sure, you have to commission another test. Not even sure, the third test. Not even sure, trial test. So, so um, where possible, we will usually do a, a very good um, advice to, to propose alternate solutions before going in the basement mm. approach. Mm. 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 <laughs> okay. So I, I think appointing a, a very experienced builder and mm. architect is, is also very important. Yep. Right? And um, coming back to the part that you were talking about the envelope thing. Mm. Okay, when did this new envelope approach starts because for example nowadays mm. if you look at the URA master plan I right. mean we, we are always able to see based on the housing segregation mm. this housing enclave um, 
sometimes demarcated as a two and a half story yep. mixed landed. Yep. This is a two and a half story semi D yep. kind of enclave. But sometimes as you drive past, mm. the two and a half story landed now looks like three and a half story. Mm. So when did this new envelope height uh, kind of um, thing came came into place? Which right. year was that? So um, off the, off a hand, I can't rec- recall exactly which year, but uh, it's fairly recent. You mm. know, a couple of years back, it's fairly mm. recent. But the uh, the whole idea of this um, uh, building envelope control it's a form of a give and take by URA. The approach is like this because they wanted to control the overall vicinity with a specific height so that you don't have outliers. Suddenly this building becomes super high or super low. So they want to ensure the overall look is maintained, but they also want to give some flexibility to the homeowners. For design. Exactly. Right. So so they, they, in a way, I think this is what they call progressive nation. You know, they mm. give a bit, but they hold back a bit that, okay, I give you this height control, 15 meters. You can then decide if you want to have a, you know, almost like a Western style, very high pitched roof. It's one single story. You can do that almost like a castle style. Or if it's a two and a half story, you can... You can make it look like a three and a half. Exactly. Exactly. Because you can have a mezzanine level. Exactly. Exactly. Right. So so a lot of these things are now a bit more the approach is more flexible. Mm. Yeah. Overarching thing is that number one, you fulfill to the building envelope control and then of course the engineers will come in, whether the loading <coughs> is sufficient, the footing is sufficient for your extra things like that. Yeah. But the building envelope uh, is really to promote the two case. Flexibility as well as to still control overarching on the visual, mm. Mm. and um, that's that's I think I think that's that's great, especially if you're planning to rebuild because uh, last time you you mm. really had to stick to like yep. you know the two and a half and yep. all that, so now there's a lot more flexibility. Perhaps during the mezzanine, you can build like a family area, yep. or maybe. Without the mezzanine, you can make your level one yep. really have that loft kind of effect. Exactly. All right. So. Uh, Coming back to that part about uh, commencing work and then you were mentioning that usually it's about a year. Mm. Uh, so far since the, um, the June Circuit Breaker release, um, has there been like a delay in, in the rebuilding process? Like, like uh, what, what do you think? Oh, everything has been like back to normal. Okay. Uh, I think the word to describe this is that there is uh, quite distinctly delay. Yeah. Mm. Uh, the whole supply chain is affected. Mm. Yeah. So right from the dawn dom concept, uh, our workers are being being you know uh, contained in a very strict um, controlled transport manner. So it's just a very simple example. Last time the workers are able to commute point A to point B themselves. Uh, you know, uh, and and specific vehicles or small vans, lorries, anyone can pick them point A point B. And the number of hours your working hours are basically as long as your project determines. Yeah. But because of all these uh, safe work measures and all those, um, your transport to the dorms are controlled. So only AB person declared vehicles can come in. Yeah. And also, um, you can't even go and buy your own food. Yeah, to that extent. So a lot of things are being restricted, which also means that the flexibility, your working hours, you can't stretch the extra bit. So that's the first, your, your direct workers for the, from the dorms are affected. Two is your material, your talents. Uh, materials and talents they tie hand in hand so for example the experts to do form work that means when you're doing substructure you're doing your footing you have the piece of wood to form like a little lego and you pour your concrete this is form work the talent for form works are severely lacking why the best form work uh, carpenters are from china example so because of all the covid restrictions the travel restrictions this is a very big thing 
Yeah. Then slowly, there is this thing called the not so nice word, the cannibalization comes in. So which means that I know you have one talent. If your daily salary is $200, a competing firm, because to avoid your LD and all your subsequent things, you are then, uh, I'm willing to pay double the price just to you to come back. So a, a, a trend is coming by now that uh, in order to complete jobs on time, limited resources, I'm willing to pay double, pay triple, just to get the talent back. Wow. Yes. Is that scary? Is that scary? And, and this cause goes to the most pertinent people. So example, the first scope that can happen is the hacking people now, the general demolition people, the hacking team. Uh, there, were, there, were, there were trends uh, ever since uh, sometime in August. Yeah. The price increased 40%. So people, so the, the builders and all that, they are paying top dollars for... For talents. For priority. Yes. Wow. And, and also, uh, truth be told, um, sometimes it's not about who has the best credit rating, who pays well. Now is who paid the first. Yeah, so... And of course, this, this additional costs are being passed on to... Wh- whether is it passed on or not, I, I think the builders also want to be able to deliver their job fast. Exactly. exactly. Right. So, so they are, they're hunting for... Yep. Wow. So this is a very um, interesting period where, you know, the question is well, well asked is that who, who bears the cost? Yeah. Yeah, who bears the cost? So it's a very tricky thing because overall, uh, as part of, you know, contract or what, uh, if the, the sum was contracted before COVID, well... It's, it's a, agreed. It, it, yeah, it's agreed. So in some way, you have to bear. Again, most clients and homeowners are understanding now because of the whole global thing. So I would say that they are helped to defray the cost yeah, to it. But I think the bulk of it, the main contractor has to bear somehow. Mm. Yeah. So I think this is the situation. It's cannibalization. Uh, the the materials are also um, not as prompt and and fast from even for all our logistic ports not as fast and I think a because of the pent up a lot of demand is coming in mm. so obviously when demand is high and your your talent pool is low uh, then there is this trend that I pay you more you come over to my site. Um, so really the overall climate now it's I would say is more on the tense up portion um, jobs are a lot I think it's because of a, of a pent up frustration and and pricing is driving up mm. yeah so this is the overall scene we are, we are seeing now mm. recently I've been seeing a lot of interesting design in the market um, even with plots like perhaps just 3,000 plus square feet of semi-D mm. uh, with very interesting design you can even park up to like four cars right. and uh my own checklist is that right now, if someone is planning to rebuild, the lift is a must. Mm. Yeah, because that's the, the trend of future-proofing the home. Minimum, I think there has to be five bedrooms in total, right. at least. Uh, pool is a little bit of plus and minus because some buyers on the ground, when they come to view a property with a pool, they say, they ask us how much does it take to cover it up. <laughs> <laughs> then some people come, they ask us how much does it build to, 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 to build a pool. Mm. And uh, But I think the core is that at least a five bedroom, at least uh, a lift. Plus, if the more cars you can park, mm. the better it is. So, so coming to building like this new build, right? Um, what are some of the core reasons mm. after that twelve months, after my my submission and my planning phase of six months, and then twelve months that my building architect has estimated for right. me? What are some of the core reasons that my property cannot reach its TOP? Uh-huh. Mm. 
So this is a part back to some horror yeah. stories. <laughs> okay. So um, this will relate back to the back to the engineers and architects. Uh, I would say involvement and expertise. Um, for a for a very thorough and a full compliant uh, project, there were a lot of in uh, very key attributes. So just a couple of examples is that uh, lightning, mm. lightning protection. So so um, this has been a recent three five years a very big topic uh, because lightning is something we can't see mm. and lightning protection has when it has to be done well it has to be done day one so meaning when you cast the concrete when you embed it within the the, the cement and so on and so forth there are a lot of compliance inside so uh, one 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 I would don't say popular but one observation is that um, why you can't get your TOP is that you don't comply to your specific lightning protection. So lightning protection will go all the way to the highest point of your building. And this lightning tape, or the conductor you call it, has to then be isolated, in, isolated throughout the unit. And how can you, can you do it? And because day one, we have to lay some sort of lightning tape. And they're only testing at the end of the day. So during the whole rebuild process, there could be you know, mishandling, there could be someone not doing the job well. It could be just a lousy day that they can't just get the readings. <clears throat> so one very common situation is the lightning protection. You are not able to get it. Mm. The other thing is also uh, interesting is on the power, mm. power provision. Mm. So this is when this term come in, the licensed electric, licensed electric worker, LEW comes in. So basically for any new build, rebuild, A&A, um, when it comes to having a new meter board, a LEW has to come in to basically every single point you have a songpa, you have a stamp, you have a sign on to make sure it's safe. Yeah, and, and as, as part of uh, upgraded living, enhanced living, people want to have uh, certain power points in certain area. For example, in my powder room, in my toilets, I want to have my hairdryer, I want to have specific things, I want to uh, buy certain items from Amazon and things like that. So, so it's a very common situation again that while we are doing all our standard electrical works, hey, we forget the compliance then maybe you know who so and so owner decide to have a PowerPoint in the toilet. Uh huh. So though we think that is well, no big deal, right? Mm. But uh, when it comes to certifying and all this, it may it may warrant uh, uh, this quality. A failure to be. Yeah, mm. yeah. So these are some small little things, and as small as we think that is not 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 so impactful. But when we talk about the tread and riser, the staircase when you walk up and down, so when you want to rebuild. There are very strict controls on how high a stair can be, how deep the stair can be. Mm. So sometimes we say that my la just in you can do, but it's not like that. Mm. So when it comes to TOP checklist, these are the things that they will check. Okay. How is the TOP inspection process like? Uh-huh. Who comes? Is it, is it, is it okay. somebody from BCA? Or? Yes. So uh, the, the statement will be that uh, BCA will come. Yeah, mm. That's the statement. BCA officers, they will commission a check. And the then the trend now, or rather the observation now, there are modified ways of doing it now. Mm. So meaning, um, virtual ways, they empower way. So okay. meaning they are doing a, a more so like an empower way to say that dear QP, dear QPs, right, please fulfill and check through all the checklists. Submit a report. Yes. And then take photo, yes. visual yes. proofs. Yes. So so it used to be at, at uh, random checks that uh, BCA officers or even simple ones, they don't come. But by and large, the statement would be that BCA will come and check. Mm. So the QPs are yeah. appointed by the builder. Correct. Okay. And um, the builder is supposed to manage the QPs as well. Correct. 
Right. Okay. What if um, after all the submission, let's say example this empowered way, the mm. new way, and the TOP fails. Mm. Every round of rectification, example uh, two 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 items fail. Mm. The staircase is not mm. built to, mm. or maybe the elect- or maybe the lightning mm. and stuff. What is the how how long is the delay? You know, like well, uh, BCA put it in very simple way. Mm. So long you comply, you resubmit, we will do the due processing time. Mm-hmm. So I think the time delay is as long as how long you need to rectify it. Mm. But after you have rectified, usually it's, it's quite okay. Yes. Okay. Yes. It's the process of rectification. So for, for a staircase to rectify, mm. it's literally like redo, redoing. Redo. So so usually that's a, that's why uh, on the projects right there are a lot of check and balances. Mm. Now, you know at uh, stage one, if you do the third second floor first, you settle the second floor, make sure everything is passed. Things are things are things are. This is also where the uh, QP's uh, team as well as the builder's team for the supervisor comes in a lot. Mm. Yeah, because uh, everybody has a role to play to ensure that I'm make sure that I don't sabo you. I mm. want to make sure my architects and engineers, whatever they draw, mm. tallies to site as much as possible mm. and we comply and make sure that things are actual. Mm. So, so as a consumer in the market, I mm. mean, for example, I appointed my builder right. who using the, the design and build uh, kind of method for my builder to manage the entire project Right. Point of QPs, point of architect. Okay, how how do I protect myself as a consumer? Of course, mm. we we want a very good working relationship with my builder and the right. architects and all that because they they are helping me to build my home. Mm. But for example, um, I have let's say I have paid the deposit, I pay mm. progressively, mm. and um, the the estimated um time frame, let's say as as promised, is about between maybe 18 to 24 months, for right. example. Usually, builders give a range, right? Right. Okay. So what if the delay is really out of the norm? For example, mm. it is instead of two years, mm. it becomes two and a half, or right. maybe even stretches up to three years because of a lot of the mistakes that were being made and mm. he can't achieve his TOP. Right. How do I protect myself as a consumer? Well, uh, there, there are, this is also where the, the standard uh, legal template as well as the TNC, uh, terms and conditions, as well as the, negoci- the negotiations uh, coming in. Mm. Um, so by and large, right, um, when you come to a contract, um, it could be really a private-private treaty. So you mm. can just say, okay, Melvin, I like you, I appoint you directly. Or mm. you can always fall back to the you know, SIA board architects that are prescribed recommended forms mm. they also recommended uh, industry practice forms to, to adhere to so by and large uh, if it's a private treaty private co- uh, agreement it's usually the contract is signed on the private um, terms and conditions with the builder and the homeowner mm. so I think this is also time that uh, if we be very open and fair uh, this is also when as a homeowner you should be very prudent in your progress payment milestones mm. so a, a, a example that you hit a certain mouse to I cast the concrete I react my second floor I do a certain thing then I, I have that so um, and by and large nobody and nobody will really want to short change or delay the project mm. unnecessarily so there are a few provisions is that uh, the milestone must be well written mm. and you hit a certain milestone that's number one the other two um, I'd rather the other one is this what we call the retention sum Mm. So if you don't do well, mm. go on to a amount. Mm. But this is very um, negative nature. Mm. It's very, it's, it's sort of like a penalty. Like mm. You don't do well, I'll otang your money. Mm. So um, if it's dealt professionally, I think it's okay. Mm. But also on the other angle is that, oh, you have, you're, you're also finding chance to hold my money. Mm. So, so it really depends how the setup to be. 
I think the last is the insurance. You know, or there are various type of insurance to protect a consumer, a builder. But I think these are the the usual steps. Mm. So the insurance to be purchased, like to protect in the in the event of a prolonged delay. delay. Mm. Okay. What about <coughs> another horror story? Is that if, what if the the builder goes bust? Yep. Mm. Yep. This is something that we hear within our industry as well. Mm. Yeah. <coughs> so when the builder go bust, things gets a bit messy. Yeah. Because um, for a project to go on, right, it's not just I finish, I get my permits, I go. Um, the check and balance from the authority side require you to declare who is your builder. Within the builder, you have to declare who is the person, the approved person, the technical person not involved. So literally, when a company go bust, yeah a new team has to come on board. So literally, the person who come on board has to then Take reset over. the whole thing and try to understand the decision made and all those things. So Study the whole plan. Exactly. exactly. Where's the progress? Exactly. Yeah. And it's going to take like another four months. months. Another four months, five months. Before the new person dare to take over. Exactly. And and the, the assumption is always that uh, if I'm, my balance contract uh, is left with, example, 200,000, and new builder comes in, I will pay you only 200000 Yeah, but no. It's not like that. Yeah, because, because the work starts from scratch, technically. <laughs> yeah, you mm. reset and learn everything. So I think the delta, the premium, it's expected. Mm. Then if, you know, when it comes to how can you seek back the damages, the claims, that's a different story by the adjuster and the lawyer. But um, be, be mentally prepared. The person who comes in is not at the price that you pay the first builder. Mm. It's a premium. Usually, a much more. Is there insurance to cover that if the, the, um, the builder goes there, there, there are there are some provisions, mm. but uh, we we have not explored those options before. Mm. Yeah, so there mm. are some provisions like that. Mm. Who, who are the usual insurance providers? Do you, are you aware? Tokyo Marine and a couple of other big firms. Uh. Okay, mm. all right. And uh, one final question before we end the today's okay. session. Uh, it's been a very fruitful one. Is that um, the estimated costing? I mean, we talk about it in a couple of our episodes on mm. on season one. Uh, I mean, usually we we after working with a few builders and all that, the rough estimation is of course for uh, good, normal, solid mm. um, in the market kind of materials. We we can we can give an estimation of about three hundred dollars yep. per square foot yep. uh, based on the, the build up. So let's say if you are going for six thousand, yep. that'll be about one point eight. Does that include all the submission fees and what what are some other fees that's out of this right. generic? $300 per square foot calculation. Right. Yeah. So the $300 per square feet, it's a reasonable, I would mm. say a reasonable approach for interior rebuilding all your structural costs and all those. Uh, but this $300 is best put as the fitting renovation construction cost. Mm. The QP costs are not bundled together. Mm. They are usually out of it. So the QP costs will involve um, the qualified person uh, strictly speaking, for any landed pro- project, the QPs are involved uh, quite quite extensive. You have from your um, architects, your civil engineer, your M&E engineer for your lightnings, your licensed electrician, your licensed plumber, and sometimes even specialist builders, example, your formwork people, your powering people, even your aircon people has to come in. So all these people, when you add them out, it is pretty significant mm. and it's usually in the range of anything from 60, 80, 100, 150,000. Mm. So, so at best it's set another 200k for... Uh, 200k for it might be a bit a lot. Yeah. Right. Probably but, about 150. Yeah, probably about 150. Mm. That's mm. one way on how they can do that. Mm. The other way is percentage of the contract sum. Mm. Okay, 1%, 2%, 5%. There are, there are a lot for of... All the f- 
yes. submission and all that. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. So 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 this is uh, the the costing for the QP portion. Mm. Yeah. So. Sorry, Wait, okay, yeah. okay, okay. I suddenly got one question. Okay, it's okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I also forgot. <laughs> Sorry. Okay. Let me think. Then the, uh, cost, the submission, oh, the QP. Yeah. Yeah. So then the other things that will so-called surprise cost or not included are the cost after we realize. So on this ground, we did, we we realize that a eh, the song is not good enough. Ah, uh, this is a question I suddenly pop uh, up because recently somebody asked, is it? Necessary to do a soy test mm. before putting down the check. Okay. What, what, what do you think? Okay. And, and what's the purpose of a soy test? All right, all right. So we, we come with the technical first. The soy test, as the name suggests, mm. is to test the quality of the soy. Yeah. So how you test the quality of a soy is almost like uh, the way to put it is like a Christmas tree, it's a lumberjack. You pile the machine within the soy to a specific depth to attain the soy samples. Yeah, and that, that day I was asking you in the morning exactly. and then you're, you're driving, <laughs> fetching your kids to school and then you sent me that photo. I was like asking Jake, how will a soy test look like? Because one of the buyers were, were asking, you know, whether our sellers is willing for them to do a soy <laughs> test. And then when Jake sent me the image, I was like, oh <laughs> no my goodness, that's a big machine. No I, way they will allow it. Right? I don't think my sellers will. Oh, yeah. yeah, because it's, it's going to affect their current, the garden and, yes. and all that. Yes. And yes. It's, it's such an extensive thing. Yes. Yeah, so... The soil test, is it to determine whether the property is suitable for rebuild? Yes. Okay. Yes. Okay. So, so if you don't do, mm. and then, let's say example, like you, you brought your builder, your architect, mm. they walk the ground, they say, okay, go ahead, put down a check. Mm. <laughs> what, what happens if the soil test fail? And then okay. So I think there are a lot of things. So uh, the soil test really the, is to test the composition of the soil, hence to determine the strength of the soil, Hence, then it will affect the design of your substructure, mm. your powers. So if you are gung-ho and say, no, I really don't want to do soil tests, then at the point when the engineer is designing your new powers, the new columns, then you have been in for a big surprise. And as part of the civil engineer protocol, just now we described on the process, you know, we get the drawings out, the QPs, architect on board, the civil engineer. So the civil engineer, when, he, when they're on board, they want the soil test. Mm. They definitely want us. But, but practically, usually people only do that after they buy, right? Correct, correct. Mm. So this is where I, I came as that this will be the surprise cost. Mm. So for example, we prep that oh, the structure will be a simple footing, 1.5 meters, so on and so forth. But if the soil test come up, oh man, this is... Fail. fail. They won't say fail. <laughs> okay, so, just, so so if the soil test is not, is not optimal, right? you can still rebuild the house, just that cost. Yeah, you have to... More exactly, you have to strengthen the soil right, such right, that you will right. tahan okay. the. So, so money can solve the. <laughs> In a way, yes. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, be- because really, it's not practical, mm-hmm. and, and I don't think any sellers will will want, want to do that. that. And right. it's a very noisy and a very, I would say, industrial fuel because yeah. they are powered by diesel, so they'll be bang, 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 and it's smelly. Then basically, your your garden will have one fat hole down there. Yeah. Yeah. So and the sellers will be thinking after you do a soil test, what if you don't want to buy? Exactly. Right. Yeah. yeah. That it gives a bad signal also lah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Great. It's, it's been it's been awesome having you back in uh so far so good season two, and I'm very happy to kickstart this episode one of uh so far so good with uh Jake again, uh in this season two episode, and uh we're gonna talk a lot more about landed properties and and a lot more about uh some of the things that really uh if you want to buy a landed property, what are the things you need to take note? And once again, Jake is not. Uh, just a chartered surveyor. He's also a 
lecturer and a teacher at the BCA Academy, right? Uh, uh, imparting his knowledge to the next generation. Uh, he's the one that uh, is... What, what course are you teaching? Is that a diploma? I, I'm, yeah, I'm teaching diploma, technical drawing. Right. Yeah. Okay. And uh, so he's an inspiration to the next generation and plus being a chartered surveyor in Singapore is a, is a rare uh, kind of certification because it's, it's a worldwide kind mm. of accreditation. Plus, uh, he also runs his uh, his family business. Um, very enterprising uh, person, leading his team in in doing uh, the interior renovation space. Plus, of course, uh, rebuilding A and A space. Yeah. So, if you have any any inquiries, you can his his number and his website, his link is all down in our description below. You can check out his company and then give him a call if you need any services. He also. Uh, is um, a big fan of us and our clients yeah. and every time when we have landed clients that wants to have a bit more assurance uh, he does have a professional service that does a walkthrough with our buyers on the ground yeah so thank you Jake for always supporting our team yeah more than happy yeah, it's, always a, it's always a super happy feeling working with your team great Excellent. awesome man alright Thank you. Thank okay, you, thank you for staying tuned with us uh, on this so far so good season two episode one. So we hope to see you on episode two. Meantime, take care. Bye.